0: When we first came up with the idea for a crypto art podcast, I assumed that the topic most days would be like actual art, like the aesthetics of art. In so much of my writing to that point, aesthetics was what captured my interest, especially in the space where things like markets or marketing, sales, and floor prices often get the bulk of the discussion. But the podcast here has grown in a number of unexpected directions. The other day, uh, out of a combination of curiosity and what I suppose was self-loathing, decided to go back and watch the stream of our very first episode. And it was so choppy. I didn't know what to really talk about. It was very off the cuff, but it was also very art focused. And in the time since, well, yes, we've become a lot more professional. We've added cold opens, credits, all sorts of theme music and guests to the podcast, but we've also become a lot more wide ranging. When we talk even to artists, it's usually less about their specific work and more about larger meta questions that their work may to touch on, or the various environments that are their specialty. When I asked WG Meets to be on the podcast, I knew that the conversation really should be geared towards the art, the creative process, the aesthetics, and the intertextual context that WG will talk about a lot in this podcast. Because today's pod is back to our earliest conceptual roots a discussion of abstract art and how it's made, what it means, how to ensure the success of its message. And a veteran of the crypto art landscape like WG Meets is the best possible person to take us through such a rangy, artistic topic. So I fully expect that you'll come away from this podcast as I did with a deeper understanding of abstraction, yes, but also WG Meets' specific brand of abstraction. And I hope it's as much of a pleasure listening to WG Talk as it was talking to him myself. So please enjoy this conversation between me, Colborn, and WG Meets on this week's Mocha Live podcast. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Mocha Live podcast. It is 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time when we are recording this. It is September 26th, a Tuesday, and I am joined by Colborne Bell, founder of the Museum of Crypto Art. What's up, Colborne?
1: Chilling, man. Thank you. Thank you both for being here.
0: Absolutely. My name is Max Cohen, and our special guest of the week Mr. WG Meets, self-proclaimed abstract expressionist, 3D artist, AA artist, head of When Giants Meet the mixed media outfit and founder of Miss NFTs, WG Meets, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you very much. Damn, that was an intro. I like that. <laughs>
0: that was. Yeah, that made me feel good already. <laughs> I I heard somebody somebody was criticizing someone on a podcast for like the quality of their intros and I was like I got to got to blow these out. They need to be long. They need to be exciting and excited. And I am excited. I'm excited to have you here WG. I think we talked about this podcast on Twitter as an abstract conversation with an abstract artist. So um, let's just jump right in. First kind of question to kick us off, You know, your last project, Flesh, was an AI art project. And AI art has continued to embed itself even deeper and deeper and more systematically into creation all over the place, across ideologies, across industries. And I'm curious in a world in which there's so much abstract art because that's what these AI programs are so skillful at putting out, how does an abstract artist continue to make the same intensity of statements? And how how do we differentiate the skill or intention of abstract artistry without the artist present, perhaps with somebody behind kind of an AI uh, model of some sort? I think um,
2: as with anything that an artist creates, there's always a fingerprint, right? There's always a there's always a fingerprint somewhere, right? Um, and I think with AI, it's, it's especially important to always maintain a certain level of frequency when it comes to visual sense, right? Uh, me, for example, being a, an abstract artist, uh, not necessarily known for doing a lot of AI work, it's something that has always been, well, what am I presenting? Well, what am I saying? So I believe that within the intent of things, within um, what does it mean? What is a collection? What is he trying to, to achieve? I think that's where the, the footprint of the artist actually shows up a little bit more. And visually, it can honestly be the subject matter, right? So in with Flesh, the subject matter was definitely something that it wasn't about being cherries. It wasn't about being poppy. It was more about reflection, right? Like, what are we doing? What is everybody else doing? How do we get affected by it, right? So I chose to pick the most non-human thing ever, which is AI to then produce something that was more human than anything else for me at least. right? Um, So I think it comes with the intent of the artist and of course the story, the description, the meaning of the collection itself.
0: Well, how do you establish that kind of story? Let's say if somebody didn't know you or your presence, right? And and this is, I think, a broader question about abstract art in general, pre-AI, post-AI, it'll be here as long as there's abstraction, but because it's so conceptual, if someone is not familiar with your name or your personality and they kind of just stumble upon your work, how do you incorporate that fingerprint in a way that somebody can pick up on it?
2: Um, I think that the footprint is there regardless, no matter what, right? So let's say, for example, somebody that's not necessarily, uh, they stumbled upon the collection, right? They stumbled upon flesh, but they don't have to have any of my abstract art or anything like that. Um, I I would tend to think that what shines through ideally with everything that I do is how I present my work, the level of presentation, uh, the way I write, I always take into consideration, uh, what I name things. I always take into consideration and I is not that I restrict myself in that sense, but I always tend to follow a certain path, right? Whether it is how I talk, uh, what things mean, what are things named, how ultimately, um, the NFTs were named, right? So, it's something that I, everything carries over uniformly. So if it does have that uniform feel and look, I would hope that that's where they start seeing the actual footprint of the artist itself.
0: Coburn, you know, in your experience with Zero One, so much of the artwork on there, you know, the hundreds of NFTs that are minted on there every day, so much of them are AI and so much of them are abstract. And I'm curious, I mean, before I like lead you into anything with a loaded question, like why do you think that is on a platform like that where minting is free and where...
1: Well, we were just talking about that on Sunday, right? It's um, easier to generate than kind of create something by hand, right? Because the the work that is happening is is kind of outside the artist's control. So at the end of the day, you could have 100 outputs that you then begin to curate and work through and, and apply your touch to. Or you can do, you know, some some retouching afterwards. But it's also nice to use it as a diary. And kind of as I was explaining, I'm generating every day and I'm generating all sorts of weird, random edge cases that I want to create and explorations just to see what comes out. And that is fascinating. So when I find something that I like, just to be able to have that moment, time stamp it, and keep it as a diary of this technology's evolution and your own personal explorations within it, I find to actually be quite fascinating. How can you
0: differentiate quality in abstract artistry? Is there a way of, I mean, I know WG you said there's like the fingerprint of the artist, but I think to, to myself and, and I'm sure to a lot of lay people, especially those who are not kind of really embedded into any kind of artistic ecosystem, you know, there's always the cries of like, is this art? Anyone can do it that mm. applies to so much art. But I feel like, um, especially in like a museum setting, it's abstraction that really, I think, uh, encourages those, those cries, especially when we're talking about like abstraction that uses, um, you know, paint on canvas in w- with some somewhat less than obvious intention. But like when you're, you know, either going through Twitter or kind of just stumbling upon crypto art, like how do you gauge the quality of one piece of abstract art over another?
2: So generally what I do, obviously, when I collect, whether it is abstract, whether it's illustration, I always look into the artists, right? So I always peer into who they are so that I know what they're trying to say. Whether again, whether it's 3D, illustration, abstract. So the most important thing for me when it comes to abstract work is, what are you trying to say? Uh, What are you trying to communicate with me Uh, visually? Both visually and description-wise, right? Because I I really like descriptions. I really like what goes into the naming of a file. Uh, For me, it's half the fun. Um, So then I always try to tend to peer into that specific artist's work, how they talk, Why do they talk a certain way? So even on zero one, there are certain things that I look at and I'm like, okay, well, let's see who they are. I'll go into their Twitter if there's a Twitter. If there's no Twitter and I can't find anything else on them, chances are I'll probably skip their work just because I'm I'm very careful how I operate within the space. If there's no intent involved, whether it's a good one, whether it's a fun one, I usually tend to not want to be involved, um, even collecting wise. So I always look to see what the artist is trying to communicate, why, and, and what is their basic MO within the abstract world, not just the art world.
0: Do you think the onus of looking for that context is on the like, admirer of an artwork, or is it on the artist to make it front and center? I think it could be both.
2: Uh, for example, with my own work, I tend to not want to hold somebody's hand and tell them, hey, this is what this means. I try to weave a story into the description, into the naming, and I also look for that as a collector. So even when I'm browsing, whether it is super rare, you know, whatever foundation, I think that's what's important a lot of the times when you're trying to come to a decision as far as to what really matters or what matters to you, right,
0: um, as a collector. Colborne, when you were like collecting in the earlier crypto art days, I mean, how, how, how much did this kind of like thoughtful description how much this kind of thoughtful like naming and using the intertextuality of a various site to clue admirers of an artwork into the I guess meaning of that artwork how much did that factor into your collection were you paying attention to it or was it more kind of like that sudden feel that vibe up front
1: yeah I mean I'll be fair like my eye was not particularly refined you know and and frankly there wasn't so much to go through uh, at or at least there was significantly less. It felt like almost you could have a, a handle on everything that you were seeing. So uh, a lot of the times it's just like comparison by proxy of what is next to it, especially on a timeline or especially in a grid, right? And in all of that and in, in beginning to just like see and, and train, you know, I would always be attracted to what was at the time perhaps considered like the furthest expression or or the weirdest expression or um maybe not controversial but what was so visually outside kind of the the standards of what was perhaps like the timeline was acclimating to if that makes
0: sense we'll obviously have abstract art is kind of the beating heart of this conversation but i i think a lot about um the work of natural warp Um, Who does a lot of work in like the metaverse, right? Because natural warps work is huge and intentionally immersive, right? And it's abstract, but you're kind of, he wants you to move inside of it and like literally walk around it in these kind of immersive settings, right? So WG, I'm going to read a quote I found of yours. It says, my crypto art journey started in 2019 with creating abstract worlds that tell a story or show alien-like landscapes evolved into abstract expressionism of a digital mind, which I'm now welcoming the third dimension and iteration of. You say, for quite some time, I've been searching for the best way to display my art, or at least for it to be the most immersive. And I really am fascinated by the possibilities of immersiveness that are inherent only in digital art and inherent only in digitally native products spaces places etc so i'm curious again before i lead you in any specific direction more than that like which tools and avenues towards immersiveness have you found the most success with thus far
2: i mean honestly so since since 2019 i've been using OpenGL fractals right for pretty much almost all of my main pieces up to this day um and it's one of those things where I find immersion not necessarily in animation, not necessarily in meeting the eye through cursors or anything, but more on the actual experience and what you're staring at. <clears throat> now, the immersion that we have now available, whether it, I, I personally think VR has a really big opportunity right now to actually create such a large impact um, artistically on, on an artist, if they're willing to go down that route. So I'm currently exploring that, right? Um, but my thing is, if I come, my traditional background always makes me feel weird about things that are more technical than uh, hands-on, right? So like 3D work, like, yeah, I, I understand 3D. I'm not fantastic at it, but, you know, I could hold my own and I could create pieces and I have created 3D sculptures and everything. But what I feel home with is, is static work, either static work or now dipping more into VR work.
0: Well, let me follow up on that. So much of crypto art and and what I feel that crypto art kind of naturally feels drawn to is movement, glitch, pop art, right? Like bright colors, lots of movement, right? The kind of hair trigger aesthetic that I think mirrors a lot of people's internet usage or their internet addled minds. So why the continued devotion to static works? That's just what I like.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, 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 you know, it's one of those things where even collecting, I, I don't like people to tell me what to look at. I've been a graphic designer for a little bit over 20 years. At this point, i 22, 23. Uh, that whole entire journey has been somebody telling me, hey, make this look like that. Hey, make this, hey, do this, follow this rule. Now that I don't necessarily have to, I don't, I, I'd rather not. And I find it personally challenging as an artist to lead someone's eye without actual motion. So a lot of my pieces have motion involved, whether it's uh, a, a sense of vibration, a sense of wind, a sense of water, there's a sense of motion there. And I wanna lead with a static image to show and convey motion versus actually having something moving around and going, hey, look over here, but wait, look over here, this is gonna turn over here. I want you to feel that with my artwork and that's why a grand majority I would probably say 95 to 98% of my work is static.
0: Back to the question of like immersiveness, uh, Colborne, I'm curious, like what avenues or tools that create immersiveness do you think are most impressive right now? And do you think, and which do you think are currently kind of like underserved, underappreciated, underexplored?
1: I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm going back to start. I'm going back, like I, for a while kind of, perhaps lost the motivation of why I wanted to be here. Uh, and I think that's, you know, probably a, a common frustration. I think, you know, WG Meats has been long enough to have seen a lot of artists that we knew and a lot of artists that we love kind of fall by the wayside because probably the the mission vision collectively was not stewarded in the way that we wanted to see it. Um, so, you know, I, I always, thought 3D object sculptures moving into these environments was incredibly attractive. But the fact of the matter is, is it's still not accessible to most people. So it's just really in my mind about onboarding. How do we teach people about ownership? And that's kind of ownership and, and responsibility is, is really the, the gateway drug into all of this. Because I think once people take control over just that, they begin to take control over more places in their lives. They become more creative. They start creating on their own. And, you know, for me, it's not about like the furthest place out we can go right now, but the easiest place to get the most people into. That's what excites me.
0: Again, maybe this is going too far afield, but like, how do you do that? How do you generate a desire for ownership in a population that I think for the most part values ease? over you know being maybe values ease overall i mean even that goes back to wg your point about the static artwork versus the animated artwork right it's more difficult on an observer of an art piece that's static that isn't telling you where to look to kind of ground yourself in it so what is the avenue maybe colborne you can take the avenue as like a collector and wg you can take the point of view of like the artist but how do you do that with again with a population that values kind of Ease or values things that are
1: explained, handheld. Sure. I mean, I think there are, you know, numerous places where we spend a lot of time that can be slightly modified to resemble something that is more web three than web two. And I think Instagram is a great example of where digital content creators are offering something that they have done. They're doing it entirely for free they're doing it for exposure so how do we transition all of these people that are creating in a myriad of digital ways into creating like digital goods that are stickier than followers right so i think everybody we have we know everybody everywhere has a rampant desire to consume we're consuming so much like physical goods that it's not sustainable for the planet so how do we begin to shift consumption patterns, and the desire to consume into digital places. So like replicating those models and patterns, but still giving people that gratification that like they own it, it's theirs and, and they were there. I think um, as an artist,
2: there's something that you always want to see. You always want to see people enjoy what you create. Um, and I think that a, a great deal of the hurdle that we are currently seeing as far as onboarding, as far as having something for the quote unquote, for the masses, um, it's terminology, honestly. It's not necessarily like the spaces, it's not necessarily um, what we currently have out. It's more on how we speak to people. Um, A lot of the times when I've personally spoken to my friends or family members, they're like, yeah, but what does this mean? And I'm like, I put it in basic terms, you know, for something that everybody can follow. Everybody has basically been using digital money to a certain degree, right? Whether it's credit cards, whether it's loyalty points, banking online, stuff like that. I don't personally carry cash, (laughs) Um, but a great deal of other people also don't carry cash. And all they do is just swipe. So I think a good amount of the onboarding that we need to have right now is obviously the execution of what tools and platforms that we have now. That's very important, but also is the terminology, because a lot of people are scared of like, well, these are your private keys. And they're like, well, what does that mean? Well, don't share them. You got to write them down. Just with that people are like, Oh fuck, like what is all this? You know, but it's an important step. Right. But I think that the best way to do it is to talk to them, like people not talk to them, like you're pushing a project. And I think that's what a good amount of people are going to grasp onto and go, okay, I get it now. Like just with just with ownership, right? Something as simple as comparing game items, right, with Warcraft, uh, Fortnite, that you honestly own it. You don't have to go through Valve. You don't have to go through Epic. You could you could sell it yourself at whatever price is commanding or whatever price you want to sell it. Doesn't mean it's gonna sell, but you have that option. So to know that you have that option, that's where the power is, I think. And and then that's when the light bulb goes off. At least when in my experience.
0: I think that this is a really interesting conversation about terminology, right? Especially because we've been talking about abstract art. And I think, you know, when I first started uh, working for the museum, I ran out and I bought a bunch of art books um, just to kind of get some kind of grounding in contemporary and modern art. And I was just assaulted with terminology that I'd never heard before. So many isms, so many big words, so many words that were rooted in, you know, Of course, there's Impressionism and there's Neo-Impressionism. There's Precisionism and there's Neo-Precision. Everything has a Neo or a... There's just so much anarchic terminology. And uh, what was I... I was somewhere... I I think I was on Twitter somewhere. And I saw a... It was a discussion of kind of the original abstract expressionists, right? The Mondrians, Kandinsky's, the um, Rothko's. And it was just talking about their use of color, right? It was talking about their interest in exploring the pure experience of color and form, right? Like unmarried from connotation. And it wasn't big words. It was like a couple simple sentences. And I said, Oh, I, I got it. Right. It, it Something about these works that I think have historically encouraged, like I was saying before that, like, I don't get this. Why is this art kind of attitude in people? It's I think so much of that comes from this very academic desire to quantify things in academic terms or quantify things, hide things behind isms in the ivory tower of, you know, dissertational terms. So, you know, we're a hundred years, I think, or so past when a lot of these people were working, but I, I feel that that same inability to express its own desire is hamstringing um, abstract art, and I, I think we're starting to see it with AI art as well. There's an inability to express, I think, on the part of the people who are learning to express themselves via artwork, their desires for creating artworks, which themselves are somewhat abstract. And now that's a pretty open-ended um, statement. WG, I'm curious if you just have any thoughts on that in general.
2: So I, I do share that, that opinion where people have a craving to create, right? whether you're new to R, whether you are a veteran or whatever that means exactly, or, or that you just wanna create something for yourself, right? Um, we have so many tools available right now that can either help us do that or do it all for us. And I don't think we're quite there. At least, we let, well, let's go to crypto art specifically, right? Or our community as far as NFTs are concerned. There's a lot of want, there's a lot of outputs, but a lot of it doesn't necessarily mean anything, right? And it could be art for art's sake. Some of my favorite pieces are art for art's sake, but you can kind of tell when it's truly about nothing. Uh, and it's like a, you know, a chat GPT description on something. Like it, it's, for me at least, I it tends to get a little bit easy to pick up and go, oh, okay, right, I see what you're trying to do. It looks cool, but it doesn't, it doesn't it doesn't evoke any kind of emotion on my end right where it's like oh shit that's kind of cool but then it just stays there it's not like well what else do they have or well what is this what is this trying to say and stuff so, and i and i think that just because of the ease of ai a lot of people are falling into the pitfalls of like well we can just pump out hundreds of these and not necessarily have to say anything because there's so many of them but i think that's also part of the problem i mean it's one of those things where it becomes easy to the point. I mean, let's say, for example, mid-journey. There's so much that can't be done in that program. But then, you know, a lot of it is just landscapes of weird places and mashups and cyborgs and, and cyberpunk cities that it gets old. You know, it's just like, all right, like, I've seen this before. It's AI, but I've seen it before, regardless of how many inputs it had to get that image, right? So it's not saying anything. It feels very, like, empty. Um, And I think that's part of the problem because there's so much to be done, but then people are just focusing on, well, we have to get something out because that's the the nature of the space as far as how speed goes.
0: Do you think it hamstrings artists like yourself by the rise of these, like, I don't know, these like easy abstractions or whether that's like stock generative art code that's repurposed or, you know, an AI tool being used in relatively unimaginative ways. It seems like from my perspective, it would move the goalpost further and further for, you know, an an abstract artist like yourself or somebody who wants to experiment with AI, forcing you to come up with more and more creative, further from the mean projects, ideas, inspirations like flesh. Wow. That's a good question.
2: At first, you kind of feel that way, right? As as, as an artist, you feel, oh shit, like the space moves already fast enough. And now it's all even faster because of this, and you know, you start seeing pieces that are like strictly AI-based, literally no editing at all whatsoever, and that's also for like three, four, or five ETH, and you're like, well, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> you know? So it's kind of like, and and that was one of the major points that I had with Flesh, where I specifically told people what I used. I didn't, I, transparency for me is like key. I don't want anybody to go, well, what the hell did he use? Did he draw this? Is this a photo? Is it a collage? So transparency is an issue. And, and obviously humans tend to muddy that little term up a little bit. And I think that's where, that's where it hampers us as artists um, because people are not being truthful. People are not saying, hey, this was done with whatever. And somebody is like, oh my God, you saw that illustration. I'm like, look at it a little bit closer or see the final output. yeah, it's probably 1024 by 1024, which is a great majority of them. Um, But I don't feel, once you get after the shock of like, shit, this is moving fast. You start seeing visual cues and how people operate and stuff like that. And honestly, I'm not bothered at all whatsoever with it because I don't know if I can call it uh, confidence in self, but like I know what I create is mine. It's not nobody else's, and regardless of how many times they try to create it, it might be similar, but it's never going to be
0: that. Coburn, I'm interested from your perspective. You know, I, I I feel like when I first started using, or when I was first introduced to something like Dolly Two, which was so easy and new, I was really encouraged to. Just create things and and you know at least consider minting them. I don't mint artworks, hardly if ever. But I think that there's a a twofold possibility here with the rise of these again like kind of easy art generating um, avenues. Right, you're going to have people who are more uh, encouraged to use them because they're available. But at the same time, because so much of that work is proliferating, you're going to have people who are encouraged away from them because it's going to be that much harder to stand out in the crowd. You're going to have that much more doubt in your ideas. You're going to be, it's going to be that much more difficult to create. I'm just going to take that much more time to create a uh, fingerprint for yourself, WG, to use your terminology. So Coburn, I'm curious what your perspective is on that.
1: Well, it immediately takes me back to like some early collecting of say, uh, art breeder, things that were generated on Artbreeder, you, you know, and these artists were hardly the first to use Artbreeder or, or the same could be Photomosh, right? People at home have access to all sorts of software, but me as a collector, it's the first time I saw it, right? So for me, it's like, oh wow, like this is interesting. I wonder how they did this. And then, you know, maybe I'll buy it. Three months later, I find out, oh, it's Artbreeder. I can do this in two seconds. Like, <laughs> what, is, what, what is that? Is it like, you know, were they there uh, first and, you know, they put it on blockchain and like, maybe I'm the sucker or, or maybe they're the artist, you know? So, you know, AI plus blockchain is, is opening up a, a whole new realm of possibilities that we can't even begin to consider. It's exceptionally difficult to say what is valuable um and that's where i think you know we really need more curation and we need you know artists standing with curators and the curator saying look i am an expert in this field i have seen the breadth of everything like you should pay attention to these people creating in this way because otherwise you know it could be You know, something that somebody has, an abstract work that somebody has spent 20 hours in Procreate, you know, detailing and designing every little thing. Or it could just be some random generation uh, from, you know, a out-the-box AI model. And it's tough. It's tough. So I think, I really do think more than ever, you know, we need... Like industry experts and curators working hand in hand with artists, and this is already a place that it's 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 full of misinformation, it's full of all sorts of different things. So I, yeah, it's. I'll I'll support
0: that um, that thought with WG's own work. As I was going through your work, uh, WG, over the last couple of days, um, you know, I found a myriad of different projects that seem to have very little aesthetically to do with each other, right? I was looking at uh, Handmaid's Tales, which is like pop art, graffiti-inspired, and aesthetics. Um, The work of yours that we have in the museum, uh, Cavern, is like hardcore abstract expressionism, 3D techniques, but it's really like color um, forward. And then Flesh, which we've been referencing, is kind of AI photography, right? And it's, like you said, it's monochrome, which is different for your work. And I referenced a couple of these abstract expressionists before, right? The Rothko's, the Kandinsky's, the Mondrian's who all kind of had a very specific visual and like aesthetic that was carried over in a lot of their work throughout their lifetime. And that's just not the norm anymore. I mean, especially WG for yourself, like you have this fingerprint, but your works, the more varied they are, it's hard for any of them to be instantly recognizable. Right. And when you hop across techniques and aesthetic styles as you do, you know, sans a curator who's very integrated into the space, like how do people form a relationship with your style? And like, how do people come to know like you as WG Meets if that fingerprint is the same, but it's taking all these different forms throughout these different projects, mints, eras, et cetera?
2: Um, so I, there's one thing that I've always been very adamant about, and it's uh, I don't like to be boxed in. I don't like to be pretty like, oh, he only does this, he only does that. I At this point, I have four to six different styles that I can create, and I choose to mainly use abstract because that's where I feel at home. Um, but I also like to experiment. I have experimented with AI since 2019. I did some of that art reader stuff. My first mint on known origin was in 2019, and it was an AI portrait, but I remember when that was going around, everybody just used to take the output, save it to the hard drive and just mint it. They didn't do jack shit to it. They didn't do anything. Or, or it was just like a, a slight color change. So now I'm like, all right, well, I want to use this, but I want to use this in my own way. So, um, and at the same time, I don't like any pieces. Uh, I don't like my pieces to look like each other. That's a personal thing. Like that's something that I've put into myself going, I, I I want to constantly challenge myself to create something and say something in my own way that ultimately looks different but still feels like me, and I, and that's very important to me. Like as you said, you've gone through a whole lot of my work. Uh, There's certain things that carry over, obviously, like how the way I write descriptions, uh, the way I name things. Sometimes they're like the collections are one word, two words, you know, depending on what it is. A great deal of my work is about self reflection be it yourself, you know, or how others, you know, what's going on within society, what we can do with it, and also crypto art as well, as is the case with Handmaid's Tales. Um, but it's definitely something that, like, I'm always very vocal on the variety of styles that I can create in, that I can confidently create in, and that's what I put out, right? And it's something that, like, I would hope at this point there are traces of me in everything that I do, whether it is a hand-drawn piece, whether it is an AI piece or whether it's, uh, you know, an open, uh, like a fractal abstract piece. Um, It's something that I want everything to look different, but the same, if that makes any sense. All
0: right, I'm going to kind of pull back this conversation a bit to something a little bit larger and more conceptual. Um, So bear with me as I try and take off and then land that plane. I think about when a lot of this abstract art that I'm familiar with from art history was being made. And it's all this kind of like early mid to mid 19th century, I'm sorry, 20th century. And, and it kind of mirrors the way that society itself was realizing the depths of its own ability to be frightening, right? Reality and realism were no longer perhaps adequate to connect to people who, I don't know, they didn't have words or images to describe the economic, you know, horror, the you know, warfare horror after world war II you know, the rise of technology so quickly that it was changing, you know, the very minute aspects of people's lives so quickly, whether it's cars, air travel. I mean, the whole world was being shaken on its axis. And I'm curious if you see parallels to that ideology today. And then like why abstract art has this foothold in the world today, perhaps owing to that same kind of uh, ethos or inspiration.
2: Um, I think it does. Um, I still think that abstract art in the digital sense is uh, it's still not fully understood or still not fully accepted um, because people, again, even with traditional abstract works, they go, well, I can fucking do that, you know? So they but obviously they didn't. <laughs> so, and, and that's the thing where it's just like, okay, well, I can do this, go for it, like try it. And once people try it, they go, oh, okay, well this is not the same because at the same time that you're trying to say something, you want to be as free as possible when saying it. A lot of people have problems doing that, you know, whether it is their regular lives or through art. Not everybody can go the route of being free and at the same time conveying a message. Uh, people tend to restrict themselves, whether it is through illustration, um, whether it is through concept. You know, we're abstract. It throws everything out the window and it makes you go, "Well, just stare at it." Let me tell you, tell me what you get from it, right? Um, and I think that's where the that's where the challenge is, and also the positives, because a lot of people are like, "Well, I don't know what the hell. I don't know what the hell this means," or, "Why does he use these colors?" Right? Like, I use a lot of reds. I use a lot of blues. I use a lot of purples. Well, what do those colors mean? They're visually pleasing to me, but I like to trick the eye. So. A lot of times, if something is red, it might not necessarily be red in the piece. I just used a certain effect to, so that it seems red. And me knowing that it's not fully there, it's not really there, but that's what you're seeing. That's what You're seeing my portrayal of what I want you to see. It throws people off. It throws people off sometimes. It makes them go, all right, well, I don't get it. Like, I've had some of my family members go, I, I, it looks cool. But I don't get it. (laughs) So normally what I'll do is, uh, or while I'm working, my eight-year-old usually comes around and he takes a peek. And I always ask him, well, what do you see here? And, you know, he'll tell me, oh, I see this, I see that. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I see. A lot of times he's spot on because he's a child. A child is very innocent. A child is very straight to the point, whether he likes it or not. And for me, that's the best art critic. But yeah, it's 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 really, really difficult sometimes because you go, well, I want to say this and I hope people see it, whether it's through colors, whether it's through color, using, uh, utilizing color theory, utilizing, you know, forms, figures, um, the way you present your work, what kind of canvas you're using? Is it digital? Is it traditional? You know, it opens up to so many positives, but at the same time, people go, Yeah, I could do that so it's something that like I've always kept in mind and I've always thought about and and I think we're getting there a little bit more with digital art but like I remember 2019 people were like oh abstract cool but like you know x copy was around he had his stuff you know so while his stuff is is definitely abstract right um there are certain things that led more towards illustration right so then there's that thing that it goes okay well I can see that face. I can accept it. With abstract art, you gotta go, well, I kinda see it, I'm not sure. And I think that is also attributed to how fast, how fast everything moves in the space where a lot of people sometimes don't wanna take the time and look and stare at an artwork, just like how you would in a museum, right? You would sit there and look at it or walk by it and look at it. Something catches your eye and you become fixated with it. In here, or crypto art, it's more like, this is great, but what else do you have coming up? So the focus is not necessarily on the art a grand majority of the times, or at least I feel that way. And it's more like, well, what else is there? And I think that also kind of hampers us to a certain degree.
0: Well, it's the nature of Twitter, right? It's like the dopamine rush of the timeline yeah. refreshing, right? It's, yeah. it's not even something people consciously, I think are engaging with. I you know I, yeah. I used to, I think when I started here, denigrate the idea of the museum a lot, not our museum, just the like, grandiose idea of the museum, right? White walls, quiet, very hollowed, very, I don't know, kind of a sacred space to look at what are mostly static art pieces. And the more I am engaged in crypto art and the more I'm you know, realizing the amount that the Twitter dopamine rush does, or like how much it does to my ability to connect with a certain art piece and what kinds of art pieces I'm connecting to up front you know i have friends who watch reality shows and i don't really like reality shows very much but there's this weird occurrence where you can be sitting in front of the tv and the music will swell and the camera will be panning back and forth <laughs> and you feel yeah. i get i get goosebumps right the hair raises on my arms and it's this totally i have it's no very agency. plan exactly <laughs> it's yeah <real> it's, <laughs> but it's like psychic manipulation on a yeah. like content basis using sights, using sounds, and it's forcing me to have an emotional reaction that is unnatural, right? That is not, a, it's, it's based only on external factors. And I feel in large part, like, I mean, how, how, this is just, again, an open-ended question, but like, how how can we know when that is happening with the art that we're seeing and when so much of this subconscious psychological manipulation is happening, not on the part of the crypto artists, but on the part of the platforms in which we're seeing these things, the way it's refreshing and it's refreshing and it's rewarding us with more colors, more glitchy things, more movement, more rewarding, you know, certain kinds of artistry that play upon that. We do get bombarded
2: with that. Right. And like, as far as to how to tell the difference, well,
0: I can you, would, can you tell the
2: say, difference? I would like to say that I do. Um, just because of my background, because it makes it a little bit easier to com- to pinpoint what is designed and what is expression, right? Design over expression. Let's say it's like a 3D piece, right? You know, it's animated, is a 3D piece. I think that there are visual cues, audio cues that you can use within artwork that doesn't necessarily have to turn into a gimmick, right? Um, so there are certain things that do happen that can evoke emotion, like how you said it within the shows, right? Same thing can happen within art, but a lot of the times, what has what has end up happening is, outside of the artwork itself, it's using these certain triggers, whether it's audio, uh, whether it's visual, you know, colors, textures, um, how things are presented, to evoke emotion, and not necessarily it's not being the piece itself, but it's kind of like, how would I, I want to say this as best as possible, it's kind of like an overlay of the actual piece, right? So. They tend to rely on those for you to feel something rather than you look at the artwork and, and actually feel something by looking at it or by experiencing it, you know.
0: So, we actually have a question from the audience. We've done like 35 episodes of this podcast. First question mm-hmm. from the audience. So, um, <laughs> yeah. I know it's
1: we, we finally we're really it. growing, we're really growing. Uh, honestly, we are really. <laughs>
0: You know, it's slowly but surely. So Jank uh, wants to know, WG, have you ever faced any sort of creative block and how did you overcome it?
2: Um, that kind of technically technically led me to crypto art, actually. Um, so before I joined crypto art or was a part of crypto art, I, one, I was looking for a, a better way to collect than physical. And two, I I wanted to express. But before that, Um, before in my hunt in trying to collect stuff. I had probably like a a good six, seven month uh, block that like completely screwed me up. I was depressed. I was feeling like shit. Uh, Nothing would come out, whether it was photos. I used to do a lot of photography here and there. Whether it was photography, whether it was abstract, illustration, design, I didn't want to do any of it. I don't know if it was my job at that point. At, at that point I was I was doing pharmaceutical design for like, I was doing like labels and like inserts and stuff like that. And that was so sucking on its own. So maybe that was a big contribution to my art block. Um, but the only way that I honestly faced it or moved on from it was to just let it go. I was fixated on doing something and it was killing me that I couldn't. So I was just like, like, I don't understand. Like, why can't I create anything? You know, like I said, I got all sad and you know, six, seven months. Nothing. I'm talking about like not one piece or anything. And I let it go. I, I ended up just letting it go, not thinking about it, and just going back to being a fan of something, whether it was music, whether it was art or a specific artist that led me back um, a good amount of the inspiration for me to start doing stuff again was NFTs um, because shortly after that break uh, or whatever the hell that was, you know, I found NFTs. I found that there was a better way to collect digitally. And then I went, wait a second, I can probably create something. And, you know, I was talking with a few artists at that time and I'm like, well, what do you guys, how do you guys pick what you put out? And they're like, we well, just put out whatever we want. And I was just like, whoa as much as, as, as much as that sounds normal, um, for me it was like, oh shit. Yeah. I can't put out whatever I want. And that was when my brain just, just like, <sighs> like, I couldn't stop creating once I got to the point that I go, yeah, I can create whatever the hell I want outside of my job. That was always rule-based regulation based. Uh, I had a, a shitty boss that like, sometimes he's like, one of the worst things that he told me. And I don't care if he's watching now. He goes, I need you to design this packaging, but I want it to be familiar to people. So style it um, according to the Avengers logo. This is for pharmaceutical stuff. So in my head, I'm like, the fuck did he just ask me to do? Like, I don't get it. Like, why would he tell me to do that? So having that person involved it hampers what you want to do sometimes within work. And, and then to have a space that was just like, yeah, man, just fucking go for it, have fun. And it, it blew my mind. And I was an adult at that point, of course, and everything. And it blew my mind that there were people, there were other artists out putting art digitally out in a, in a new form, in a new medium, uh, you know, through NFTs. And they were just creating whatever the hell they wanted. So that completely like blew my mind. And I just had first and I've never looked back.
0: Pretty beautiful story. I, you know, I I had slightly different experience, but I, uh, the the classic example or the classic um, advice you get from like writing teachers is like imitate, imitate, imitate until your own voice comes out. And that's, (laughs) it's almost like having a demanding boss over your shoulder, just asking you to create, not just in the style, but like with the same depth and with the same, I don't know, quote-unquote rules that this or that writer is doing um and it's yeah equally hamstring it's only when you like you have to learn but then give will. it all, yeah give it all up i have no more specific questions today wg let's uh let's take a moment why don't you tell us what you got going on where can the people find you uh so obviously
2: you know twitter x whatever you want to call it in any kind of platform if you're trying to follow me um wg m-e-e-t-s wg meets on everywhere Maybe I'll have a one if it's like Twitch or something like that, but everything anywhere, as far as Twitter, as far as Forecaster, as far as threads and stuff, if you see WG Meets and you see the the pixel head uh, afro chances are it's probably me. or you could just go to wgmeets.art you know that's my website. that's where I basically put up everything and have a little whole bio of proper site and everything. Um, but yeah, so like uh, what I have coming up or going on fun is lacking in the space. So I decided to have some fun. And thanks to Zero One, uh, I've decided that I'm only going to post, I'm going to mint collabs in the in the platform. And it's become such a nice, refreshing change because every single day somebody's like, hey, well, what about this? And what about that? And so, you know, um, I even had to put a form up because a lot of people were DMing me and stuff like that. And it's kind of nice, you know, and it's something that it's one, first and foremost, is about art and it's about fun, um, but I've always been interested uh, as a personal challenge to see if I can adapt other people's styles within my work and not necessarily become their work. So I'm doing that. From now on, Is um, I'm not going to post my own work from uh, on Zero One, and it's only going to be collaborations. Thankfully, it's been going great. Uh, I've had a, a great amount of work being sent to me, a good amount of questions, and now I don't honestly don't care who it is that wants to collaborate with me, Um, whether they're new to art, whether they're old to art, whether they're a collector. Like, I'm taking anybody's art and collaborating with it Um, just as a challenge to myself and also to bring more fun to crypto art and not it be just about sales, which Lord knows that's in the dumpster at this point for a good amount of us. Um, uh, Also, outside of the Zero One collaborations, I'm also releasing... Um, a collection called The Bridge on Foundation on, on October 5th. Uh, it's going to be three one-of-ones in my abstract style. Uh, res- reserves are going to be .01 or .1, sorry. Something fun, something different, you know, and a bit more accessible than my regular one-of-ones, just because, you know, times are a little bit different. So we got to adapt to the times and we got to also allow people that don't necessarily have the typical means to become a collector maybe give them a chance to become collectors or to become appreciators of art, you know, if it's possible. Right. Um, so that's October 5th. Um, it's going to be, it's a three-parter, it's called a bridge and it's going to be on foundation. You know, I have links and stuff on the website and everything. And, but yeah, other than that is outside of all the zero one collaborations outside of a bridge, I'm, consistently doing my own work and stuff like that and i'm going to be working also on a clothing line outside of crypto art uh at this point it's only going to be me but at the same time it's also going to be a little bit more grounded on the cultural aspects of dominican i'm dominican american so it's going to have it's going to have dealings with dominican republic uh the symbols of that country or my country and you know something that kind of is a refreshing take on the traditional aspects of the culture of the Dominican Republic.
1: Well,
0: thanks WG for uh, taking us through that. Um, If you like what we're doing here, this live stream, Mocha Live podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple podcasts. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe to the YouTube channel to find out whenever we do these podcasts, just look up Museum of Crypto Art on YouTube. We got a Substack too. If you want to see more of our writing and know what's going on in our space, that's museumofcrypto.substack.com. You can always hit us up. I'm at Cohen, the writer. Gentlemen, any last words before we uh, kick off?
1: I'll just say, you know, what Meet said, like everybody that's still left got to come together, got to experiment, got to just like keep spreading love and joy and show everybody why we were here to begin with um, and, and back to basics. So, you know, we do it from the start just as we did the first time and and we do it from the start we do it from the heart spread love spread connection
2: that's it i think that's important (laughs) because there's a lot of and obviously these are my party words also um it's something that we got to stay grounded and you know we got to help each other out Uh, artist to artist artist to collector collector to artist um because at this point whatever we make out of this of what we're doing is what's ultimately going to catapult what we do in the future um for the overall movement not necessarily just for us um so if we could be a little bit less selfless or no not selfish more selfless um wg meat says it first a little bit, selfless. Um, you know, a little little bit, bit less selfless everyone a little bit <laughs> <laughs> jesus what, what if i don't know right um, but you know it's something that like we it's we're a community as much as that is being thrown around a great deal of it is not community find your people care for your people focus on the people that really do support and love yeah. you you know and i think that it'll be a better place if we do that
0: amen to that well uh thank you wg for making this a little better this little trio a little better place today uh thank you everyone who's watching for doing your part to make crypto art a little bit better and uh we'll be back real soon with more knowledge for you so thanks everyone again and we'll see y'all real soon appreciate you guys thank you thanks a lot Thank you to WG Meets for coming on the pod this week. Thank you to Coborn for being my trusty co-host, and thank you all for being here with us. This podcast was edited and produced by me, Max Cohen. Julian Brangold composed our theme music, and Day Fox composed our cold open theme, so thanks to them. Coburn and I will be back on current events dropping next Tuesday and back on this podcast next Friday. So see everybody then.